series in Advent, we are looking at hope. Yes, last week, and we are looking at peace this week. And so anytime that we begin to talk about peace, the first place that our minds probably go is conflict. We think of conflict, two opposing sides, wars and rumors of war. As a matter of fact, if you look in the world today, you can see a tracking system that tells you where all the major and minor conflicts are in the world today. And they list them out from number of people who have been killed all the way down to one or two. It is a full website. It is insane. There's conflict in the China Sea. There's conflict in North Korea. There's conflict in the Congo. There's conflict in Syria. Just about any place in the world, there seems to be something that is going on. And as you move even smaller, you recognize that Brexit and that the presidential elect nominee and and presidential elect Trump, and even in this country, Hansen, bring about conflict. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that in this month's, the last two months, monthly, so December and January is monthly, there's an article that is written called The Second Coming by a journalist named Christos Solax. And in it he says this, Rage seems to be everywhere. He says, we're fooling ourselves if we believe that rage is only misogynistic and rule, only white and right wing, only baby boomer and not millennial. He says, there is a symbiosis that links the outraged liberal to the furious conservative, the radical activist to the enraged reactionary. It is the subtext that seems to define the contemporary moment that we're in. That my rage is grievous and justifiable, and yours is ignorant and selfish. See, we live in a place of conflict. The world is easy to see that there is something always around the corner getting ready to break loose into this huge eruption of rage. And if you're old enough, or if you just like John Lennon, you hear him singing out. All we're saying is give peace a chance. For me, I was a young boy watching the L.A. riots take place in the 80s. And this Rodney King, who had caused those riots to happen, basically the release of the police officers, the not guilty finding of the police officers who had beat him, Rodney King stood up in front of a camera, which, had there been social media, he would have been a meme immediately. And he looks in the camera, and what he says is, can't we all just get along while L.A. was burning to the ground? And the reality is, is we hear that and we go, yeah, can't we all just get along? The comedian George Carlin said this, if everyone in the world sat quietly at the same time, closed their eyes, and concentrated as hard as they could on peace and goodwill, all the killing and cruelty in the world would continue, probably increase. Now, I know that's a cynical view of what happens in that all of us in this room obviously never have any conflict whatsoever. But our pursuit of peace 
we run after. But it's not promised for. In the world, in the national scale, we're not looking at just peace there, are we? And conflict there. I mean, it would be great if it was just out there. But the reality is conflict enters into our interpersonal lives and even into our eternal lives. The things that are happening in our very hearts. We have conflict in our relationships, conflict conflict in our desires, conflict in our anxieties. And our response is often just shame and fear. We're so afraid in our conflict that we'll never actually be able to connect with other people again. And we're so ashamed that somehow, for some reason, I just can't get along. I just can't get along. And it's at that moment that we hear in Advent, in the in-between, in the now and not yet, the word peace come to us. And so it's good for us to look at this word peace that we read in Isaiah and what we see in John that Jesus says he gives to us. But before we do that, we really need to understand how conflict happens. And so we're going to look at how conflict happens. We're going to look at what is peace and then what it provides for us. So how does conflict happen? The reality is the pursuit for peace is a pursuit for wholeness, for completeness, for knowing all things and being resting in that. But conflict arises when we elevate something higher than the wholeness that we can get. And in that elevation, automatically, we have to begin to dehumanize those who don't believe the thing that we believe. Because we want to be whole. And if there's somebody else who believes something different than us, then it's hard for us to be whole. And so we begin to cause division. And in that division where we're saying, you're for and you're against, you're with me or you're against me, We begin to dehumanize people because God made us to look at one another and recognize his image in each other. And if we recognize somebody as human, it's impossible for us to move to a place of division. We'll long for unity. So we have to dehumanize and eventually we begin to destroy one another. When conflict arises, how it comes about when we've elevated something bigger than ourselves so that we can feel whole. When that conflict begins to bubble up, whether it's internally or externally, we usually have two reactions to it. It's either flight or fight. Now, when we have a reaction to conflict of flight, what we do is we disengage with the relationship. We dehumanize it by saying it's not worthy of being in this. What ends up happening is we begin to fade away. We begin to step back. We begin to not engage because we don't want to deal with the conflict. And eventually what ends up happening in our minds is we begin to build a narrative of victimhood where everybody, everybody hurt me. Everybody, everybody was coming at me. They don't understand me. And that's what happens when we flight, when we run away. The other reaction that we have is to fight. 
is that we push in, that we believe that if we're good enough in our oratory skills, if we're good enough in, in pointing out all of the reasons why you should believe exactly the way that I believe, that my way is the right way, and if you would just get in line, your life would be so much easier. We push. But in doing that, we also begin to rewrite history. We begin to rewrite the history that we have with those people, looking at the places when that conflict arises, that they were always against us. And we begin to build a narrative of against. That I'm right, and if people would just see that I'm right, I'm doing the right thing, then they would get on board. And since they aren't, then they are against what's right. The reality is they both lead us to the same place, which is a disconnect and a running away from the wholeness that God provides. What ends up happening, whether it is in an individual case or whether it is in a large country, international case, or even within ourselves, those places that internally we have conflict, one side has to present itself as the righteous crusader. And the other side must present itself in our minds as the villainous enemy. And conflict breaks peace. So what is this peace? What is this thing that we're looking for and running to? This thing that we want to pursue so simply said, can't we all just get along? Well, one thing that it is, it's, it's not just an absence of something undesirable. It's not just the end of war, so that means there's peace. No, that just means it's the end of war. It is, in fact, the presence of something desirable. See, it's not just the absence of the conflict, but what it really is is the absence of fear and shame. John 16, Jesus says this, In this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Peace is the person of Jesus. It is Him and His life and the righteous work that He has done. Peace is born. Peace is crowned. And peace we see in Isaiah is eternal. That passage in Isaiah 9 that was read earlier, it is talking about the midst of conflict that is going on there. They are put into slavery and bondage. And Isaiah lets them know that the Prince of Peace will come and deliver. Jesus in that other passage says He's promised that it will come. And the verse that we read at the beginning of the Advent, that Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, reminds us that Jesus himself preaches peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. That he brings and reconciles, that means bringing together two separate people, strangers, and making them into wholeness, into one. You see, wholeness is promised when we see peace as Christ. And our truth self, who we are in God, is identified. Our place is well-defined then. And really, our enemies are then transformed into our brothers and sisters. 
And you say to yourself, that's great, Lee. But in the in-between, in the now and not yet, where we're at today, that's a mystical pipe dream. I'm going to walk out of here today and I will have an argument with somebody. I will walk out of here today and I will look at somebody and think they've looked at me wrong. And I will decide that I am the righteous crusader and they are the villainous enemy. Today, because we've heard that Jesus is our peace, there won't be any guns that get put down and the nations will still rage. And sadly, that's right. Because we're in the in-between. Because we're in the now and not yet. Because we rest in that place where Christ breaks in as our peace and says, you can have this, not just internally, but externally, that grab the promises of my coming and trust the promise of my coming again to give you the strength to continue to move forward. Because in the now and not yet, it looks bleak. The Dalai Lama said this, world peace must develop from inner peace. Peace is not just the mere absence of violence. Peace is, I think, the manifestation of compassion. I enjoy the sentiment that he has there. But it can too easily move into sentimentality. Because we know ourselves. We know how quickly we will run to tearing down than to compassion. So what do we do? Well, the beauty is, is before Jesus says that he has come to give us peace, not like the world gives, but a peace beyond that understanding, in John 14, 26, he also promised us the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the one who lives and breathes within us that enables us to remember who we truly are, that we are God's children wrapped in his peace. And so in some way, it gives us a path of practical peace, of participatory peace that we can be in. So when conflict begins to arise, when we begin to recognize that there is strife that is taking place, like today after you walk out these doors, begin to think of Jesus as your peace and the Holy Spirit guiding you to recognize three things. The first one is this, your relationship with God, that he is high and that he is sovereign, that he holds all men in his hands that he is our assurance, that he is our justice, that ultimately he is our judge, and that more than anything, he is the lover of our souls. That we can recognize him as the one who sets everything right, the one who brings all wholeness. So first, we have to run to God and recognize who he is. The second thing is that we need to recognize the relationship that we have with ourselves. That deep within our hearts, we have a desire of rightness. That we want to be protected in who we are and run away from the shame or the fear that is ever present coming at us by being right. Because if we're right, then I don't have to be shameful of anything. And if I'm right, I don't have to be afraid of being wrong. 
And it's at that point that we can recognize our place of petition to God, who forgives us, that we're broken, and that he leads us to repentance. That the place that we should always move first is looking for where it is in this conflict that I need to repent. So let me give you an example. If you are in a conflict with someone, a coworker, or a spouse, or a friend, and you begin to look at them and think of the things that they've done wrong and why you're justified in feeling the way you feel, think about God and all that He's done. That while you were an enemy, He made you His son or daughter. And then ask, show me in this where I need to repent. Sometimes we have to do it in our own hearts because we hold ourselves to such high levels of self-righteousness that we have to ask ourselves, where do I need to repent to myself? I keep digging and beating myself down because I don't feel like I can attain. You can't. God has attained it for you already. He is your peace. He is your wholeness. So you have to repent to yourself. So you have a right relationship with God, a right relationship with self, and then you must move to a relationship with others. And the first step to do there is to take the time to listen to them without judgment. Listen to where they're hurt. Listen to where they feel things have broken down. And in doing that, you will recognize them as a whole human, someone created in the image of God. And it makes it so much harder to dehumanize them. And recognize, too, that they're on this path, this journey with God as well. That there might be some things that God has given you that they've not given to them yet. Or there might be plenty of things that God has revealed to them that he's not revealed to you yet. And so trust that on this journey together, because God, when he saves us, does not save us to be individual. What does Ephesians say to us? Ephesians tells us that we are built together as one new man. Humankind pointing towards God. One people that we are walking together. And then I think the last thing that we need to remember about conflict is this. God commands us to forgive. If you're a follower of Jesus, God commands you to forgive. Now listen, a lot of times we'll say, you need to forgive and forget. You and I cannot do that. We're not made to forget. We'll forget where our car keys are. But when we've been wronged, it is almost impossible. Nay, it is impossible for us to forget. The only person who can forget is God. He says, I remove your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Meaning they never come around again. He will not see them. He does not remember them. But you and I... We're not God. 
even though we like to think we are. We won't forget. So all we can do is forgive. And we can grieve with one another. The hurt and the pain that conflict causes. And we can rejoice with one another that God steps into that conflict and brings his peace. And so we forgive and we grieve and we rejoice. Thomas Akempis said this, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make peace. So in a pursuit of peace, it looks like this. The pursuit of peace is the death of self. The pursuit of peace is a death of me wanting to be right always. But in that death of self, it's the understanding that Jesus himself died for us so that we could be whole. That on the cross, Christ himself takes all offense upon himself. He brings it all onto him. Every offense that could ever happen, he carries that onto the cross. And he puts it to death. Ephesians says, thereby killing hostility. So, in peace, in the here and now, we must be reconciled. We must pursue justice. But not just for the cause of justice, but because Christ pursued us in peace to be his children. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. We pray that these be your words and that they don't return to you void. That if they are not your words, that they will burn up, that they will no longer exist, that they will fade away. But if they are your words, that they will take root in our heart and that they will bear good fruit for you, unto you, and who you are. Father, let them bring glory and honor to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and respond to the word by reading with me from Revelation 22, 17. <clears throat> 